It's a be- it's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book Close Encounters of the Worst Kind and the captivating memoir Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. The 2019 novel coronavirus, or the COVID-19, has led to a serious outbreak of often severe respiratory disease, which which originated in China and has quickly spread around the world. As public health officials seek to contain the virus and mitigate the deleterious effects on worldwide population health, a related threat has emerged, global media exposure to the crisis. Media-based stories of traumatic events expand the event's boundaries from geographically constrained to virtually boundless experiences, transforming local events into widespread collective traumas. Although access to media stories about these events may appropriately inform us about events in our world, Prolonged exposure to media coverage also may serve to amplify and heighten public anxiety and fear. Today's special guest, Dr. Allison Holman's work is focused on understanding the ties between mental and physical health consequences of traumatic life events with a special focus on preventing trauma-related mental and physical Dr. Holman has been principal investigator on several community-based studies of coping with trauma funded by the National Science Foundation, Josiah Macy Jr. Foundation, and Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. She and her collaborators are currently working on a large national study of coping with the coronavirus outbreak, and we are so happy to have her with us today. And we're going to get started. Good morning, Dr. Holman. How are you today? Good morning. Thank you for inviting me to participate in your show. I'm doing well. Thank you. Good, good. We're having a a little bit underwater, but um, hopefully that will clear up. So on January 30th of this year, the World Health Organization designated the COVID-19 outbreak a public health emergency of international concern. And ever since then, journalists and public health officials have worked to communicate critical information globally through the media. This is a a 24-hour-a-day exposure. And I know for me, um, it's been way too much. But as a As an expert on this, I want to talk to you about how this is affecting us, um, our moods, depression, anxiety, and things like that. So what do you think about all the information that is being um, just poured out at us by the media? Well, what what we're seeing is we're seeing... Uh, Wait, you're, many, you're, many you're very, um, it's hard to hear you because you're kind of broke. You are, so maybe um, it's the show. Okay. All right. Hopefully it'll, it'll, back? um, yeah, try that. Let's, let's see. Okay. All right. Okay. So we're going to just take a second and hopefully we can get a clearer, um, sound with Dr. Holman. Okay, she'll be calling back in a second. Um, If anybody would like to call and ask any questions, the number is 424-220-1801. Okay, Dr. Holman is back. Let's try it. Okay, let's see if that's better. (laughs) Okay. Okay, is this okay? Um, It's still kind of the same, but we'll do do the best we can. Okay, so what is your opinion on um, this extensive amount of media coverage? 
so it's inherent that we're going to see this kind of media coverage. And that's a natural experience because of the situation, right? There's a public health emergency now pandemic um, that people are responding to. However, part of the problem with the media is when the media becomes sensationalized and when the media pr produces messages that are, and we've found that in the aftermath of, in our work, in the aftermath of major collective events, we've studied 9-11, we've studied the Boston Marathon bombings, we've studied uh, the Orlando nightclub shootings, et cetera, et cetera. At, in the media, the media exposure to those events can be very, um, it can both suck you in and it can also be very stress-inducing. And after the Boston Marathon bombing, we found that the more you exposed yourself to media coverage, the greater your risk of experiencing high levels of what we call acute stress, which are like early post-traumatic stress symptoms. So people who were watching the most media felt like the most stressed. And so the media, the problem, if you're getting back to your question, the problem can be that the that not only does the event itself stoke in anxiety, but the media can then fuel that anxiety by you know presenting the information about it in a conflicting or a confusing sense of um, anxiety, as I said, about the uncertainty that this produces. Um, and the uncertainty is, as I was mentioning earlier, this whole virus has changed many people's lives. Many people are being told to work from home. Their children are being brought home from schools or what, you know, whatever their life circumstance, they're being put in situations that weren't what they thought their life would be like. And so our lives have drastically changed. Everybody's lives have drastically changed. And so I think what many people are experiencing is something I I study how people's sense of time affects their response to stressful events. And um, we don't usually think about how time flows in our lives. We don't wake up thinking, oh, let me think about my future. We wake up thinking of what they've got, oh, I'm going to go get my coffee or I'm going to go get my tea or I'm going to do whatever. We don't think about how much we actually have invested in the normal plan and of our everyday lives leading into our next everyday life the next day. And we have an expectation of a future in most people, right? And the vast majority of people have that, have that expectation of the future. Well, now that expected future is changing so fast. Everything is changing. It's like what's coming down the pipe next? We don't know. What's you know, are we going to, is there going to be a lockdown in the United States as a whole? You know, so people are responding to this constantly changing situation with having their sense of time and their sense of the flow of their life being very disrupted. And that is producing a lot of anxiety, I think, in people. We're also seeing tremendous social contagion of people getting scared. They think there's going to be a lack of this and a lack of that. So there's been runs on uh, people sort of panic buying stuff. I don't think most people are like panicked. In the, I think the majority of Americans are not like in a panic mode, but I think some people are feeling stressed and needing to buy things and for, to make sure they have supplies because they don't know what the future will bring. So it and then other people see that and they think they need to do it and so there's a social contagion for like engaging in behaviors that may not be as helpful uh, during this outbreak for the whole community. You know, and as I was saying um, before we went on air, that I have this low-lying feeling of anxiety which I never have. Um, and and you were explaining this to me that it's really coming from the disruption of our perception in time. Yes, I think that has a lot to do with it. I really do. I think that human beings we have, you know, we have a past, we have a present, and we have a future. And what we 
don't always, we don't do this at a conscious level. We don't think, oh, who was I in my past? Who am I now? And who will I be in the future? We don't think that way consciously, but those experiences of who, I, who you've been have shaped who you are today. And who you are today will shape who you are tomorrow. And those things are always in our subconscious awareness, right? They're subconsciously there. And we don't recognize how they're driving our behavior, but they do. They do influence our behavior a lot. And when our sense of the future is so disrupted as it is now, it's creating a lot of problems, I think, in, the, in people's ability to have a sense of the continuity into their future and time. It's, you know, it's strange because I don't know that we've ever experienced anything quite like this. I mean, there have definitely been pandemics, but our country has never responded this way. Uh, so I didn't hear, um, and, and I'm going to hear it when I listen back, but I didn't hear um, some of what you said about, you know, the media exposure. So if I repeat things um, or ask you something again, excuse me, sorry about that. It's just that I, I didn't hear because I got cut off. Uh, That's okay. Yeah. Please, in us. Yeah. This is an excellent, excellent question. So in our work, we have found, my work is particularly focused on the issue of acute stress. So these early symptoms of stress that people experience in the aftermath of a major event. And what my experience has been, what we've seen in our research uh, is that those early symptoms of acute stress that people feel are associated with greater risk of new onset heart problems, cardiovascular problems uh, down the road um, because basically it's creating a symptom, it's creating a, you know, it's a physiologic response. You have a physiologic response that goes with those psychological symptoms and that physiologic response can essentially amp the body to the point where it's, you know, running high in levels of inflammatory processes and you end up with a greater risk to have uh, problems with heart disease and potentially other things. That's what our research has suggested. Um, and, yes, the, the issue of disease, of, the, of this mental health, the mental response, the psychological response contributing to downstream physical health problems is it's very important for people to understand, and that's why I encourage people in the aftermath of an event like this to get to try to make sure you get some exercise, keep moving, do relaxation as much as you can, get your sleep. Your sleep is really important. That's when your body restores itself. So these are really important things to try to make sure that you can can have in your life to help counter that that stress that the stress response that you're describing. And what about um you know this is not going to be a scientific question um and I don't know if you have an opinion on it but does fear manifest what we fear sometimes? I'm sorry, I didn't quite understand the question. Okay. So what I'm saying is um that there's so much fear around getting the virus. Can yes. we actually manifest that in our bodies from the fear that we're having that we might get it? Or um, I know we can get symptoms out of, you know, psychosomatic symptoms, but do you think we can actually weaken our immune system to the point where we get that, what we fear, get the disease we fear? Well, that is a question for science, and I have not seen evidence that people can will bring it upon themselves, and I wouldn't want to um, suggest that that's what's going on, but I do think people can be, uh, you know, do need to address their fears and their anxieties, but I don't think an individual will contract the disease, only contract the disease if they come in contact with the virus. So 
just because you're afraid doesn't mean you're going to get the virus. If you can be, if you become afraid, the best thing you can do is to focus on finding a source of information that you can trust. I would recommend something like CDC or the um, World Health Organization. You get a trusted source. You stick to that source. You use that source. You look at it. You do your own individual risk analysis. You say, well, where am I? And how many are there cases in my area? Are there things I can do to prevent myself from getting this? You engage in those behaviors, and that is how you protect yourself. So being afraid doesn't have to mean you will get the disease. So no, I don't. I wouldn't suggest that. Okay. Okay. I hope I answered your question. Yeah, no, that was a great answer. And and so really what you're saying is, you know, and, and in doing, in feeling, um, in, in having things that we can do personally, that empowers us yes. and we don't feel so exactly. helpless and so vulnerable, right? Absolutely. That's right. critical. Right. It is Absolutely. critical. Right. And I think, and that's the thing that I would, that's why I try to encourage people not to panic. If they have, if you have, I've been reading lots of different, you know, stories and blogs. And one of the things that I read last night was a, was a, a blog post by an emergency physician in Chicago. And he was saying, you know, please don't panic and please don't come to the emergency room if you just have a cough or a cold because the problem is the healthcare system can get overrun easily and it needs to focus its attention right now on the people who are really at risk and who, who may very well be sick. And so there's a lot of telephone triage being done. And so it's, you know, what can you do if you're sick, if you're starting to feel like you're not sure if you're okay? You call your health care provider. You call them. You find out who to call. You can contact your local public health officials or public county health agency or whatever it is in your area. Call the number. Find out what do I do if I'm not sure if I need to be tested for this. And you tell them, I think I might be at risk. If, if you have a chronic disease, you tell them you have a chronic disease. If you're over 60, you tell them I'm over 60. You tell them how old you are. All of these things. Because that will empower the healthcare system to respond most effectively to you. And if you're, if you're just, you know, not sure, also the other thing you can do is check your temperature. Get out your thermometer and check your temperature. The things that this disease, the symptoms this disease is, are, is causing are fever, a cough, and shortness of breath. Those are the three highest, most, most common symptoms people have. And so staying home uh, until your symptoms go away is a really important thing. If you if you're not if you don't feel like you're having those symptoms in particular, um, keeping away you know six feet distance. A lot of people have heard these, right? Um, but really trying to protect yourself. Do your hand washing for 20 seconds, avoiding close contact contact with people who are sick, etc. Don't touch your nose, face, and mouth. All of that stuff. We've heard all of that, right? These are things that we can do and empowering ourselves by saying to ourselves, and I think this needs to be like a message that we consciously give ourselves. I know what I can do to help prevent myself from getting this virus. I'm going to do those things. I'm going to do those things. I know what I can do. And focusing on what we can do, what we can control, and not getting not focusing as much of our attention on what we can't control is a key to empowering ourselves and feeling better about how we're handling the situation. Right, right, absolutely. Great advice. That's really great advice. And thank you for, um, you know, going over the symptoms and the specifics that we need to look for because you're right. Um, you know, they say there's so many rumors going around and, um they say there's not enough resp respirators, there's not enough 
hotel beds, there's not this, there's not that. Well, you know, you're saying we do not want to overrun the healthcare system to the point that they don't have the accommodations or the ability right. to help those who actually need it. Exactly. Um, yeah. And what is this thing with the toilet paper? <laughs> I'm sorry. What is this yeah, thing with no, the toilet paper? What okay. are people fearing? Well, okay. So, you know, I'm I'm not 100% sure what <laughs> is triggering all of this, but I have a suspicion. So, diarrhea is one of the symptoms that is on, was published on the list of symptoms of the of the COVID-19. It was, but it's not the primary symptom. It's not what most people are showing. However, I think because it was on the list, I think some people felt they needed to make sure they had plenty of toilet paper in their homes. And apparently this started, from what I understand, there was a run on toilet paper in Hong Kong and that got around into stories. And then the, our media, I saw it on several like uh, online news source websites, um, a handful of news source websites, you know, things to buy to prepare for coronavirus. And the top, one of the top things was toilet paper. <laughs> and so um, I think the run on toilet paper has, is, a, is an, uh, uh, you know, a bit of social panic. It's social contagion. I won't call it social panic. I don't want to use the word panic. I just think it's social contagion. I think we saw people saw some people thought that they, diarrhea was an issue, so they bought a lot of to- toilet paper, and toilet paper stocks started going down, and meaning the stocks in the store, how much they had. And then p- other people saw that there wasn't so much toilet paper, and they might have gotten scared, like, oh, well, if I don't have enough, so they went and grabbed some. And so it just became a social contagion thing that spread all around the world. And it's unfortunate. Oh, my gosh. Because apparently, from what I read yesterday, there is no shortage of toilet paper in America. Now, there may be there's plenty of toilet paper being made in America, apparently. Um, now, some supply lines have been, may not be as rapidly moving, but, but there's, apparently there isn't a shortage of toilet paper in America. It's just getting it to the stores and, and, having, and having people not overbuy it. You right. don't need six months' worth of toilet paper right now. And when people take more than they actually need, there's less for other people who may need it. So this is another message that I would really like to convey, and that is thinking about how to be, I don't know what the best word is for this, I guess social responsibility, thinking Mm. about how to protect your community and thinking about how to protect your whole community, not just your home, but your whole community. What can you do? to support, make sure that you and your neighbors and the people around you are safe because the safer the people are who are around you, the safer you are. So it's a, it's a win-win when you think about how can I, as a human being, in response to this event that's scaring me and all of that, how can I make sure that I'm safe? I can make sure that I'm safe by A, taking control over doing the things I can do to not spread the disease or contract the disease, and B, making sure that people around me are safe and healthy as well. And in doing that, what we do is we take responsibility for building and creating a healthy community. Great advice. Great advice. Yeah, it's become, um, people have become selfish in this. You know, it's um, it's almost like people are feeling, uh, people are like in a survival mode, and yeah. it's every man for himself or herself. And you're right, um, that's not fair. And they say, I mean, we've been assured that the grocery store chains are going to stay open. We will not run out of food, and mm-hmm. we don't have to you know, stock up, like you say, for six months with, with everything. You know, I know there's been like a shortage of milk. I mean, how much milk are people buying that everybody can't get one milk? 
you know, it's just um I don't even drink milk, but you know, I'm hearing I'm hearing these kind of things. Yeah. 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 And the so there are there are a lot of rumors going around and so I like the fact that we should really just rely on not on the media but on a reliable source. And um yeah. Yeah. So, um let me see. I have some questions. Okay. So, this is a this is a very good thing and I know that you say it in some of the um in the paper that you wrote. It's a very good way for us to really prepare ourselves for the future and for our health habits as um, as a society, a global society. Do you think that this will change people's habits permanently? What is your feeling mm-hmm. on that? That's a really good question. Um, I think this is the kind of event that nobody's going to forget. Um, Will it change people's behavior permanently? I think it dep- that, to me, depends on how long it lasts. It depends on how much people's lives are directly touched by the uh, coronavirus. When I say that, I mean the difference between, like, what I'm doing right now, which is self-isolating, <clears throat> but I don't have a disease. I'm not sick. My husband's not sick. My kids are fine, you know. Everything from that to people who have had somebody in their family die from COVID-19, those are different experiences. And I think the the nature of the kinds of experiences that people have uh, will help to determine whether or not their behavior has a more permanent change. That would be my guess. Change, behavior change is a hard thing, but I think, I think this, this, particular pandemic, I think, is really a wake-up call for a lot of people. And I think that there will be some people whose lives will be permanently changed in terms of, in terms of how they choose to behave around illness and, and diseases. So, yeah, I do think that, that will be the case for some people. I don't think it will be for everybody. Okay. And it's, you know, from... I'm thinking about, you know, people being afraid to touch each other, people people being afraid to shake hands or hug or things mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, we're already such a um, – the empathy is so low in this world because everybody's focused on their phones and, you know, there's very little human communication anymore, um, or I should say less direct human communication um, than there yeah. used to be. And now we're going to be experiencing things where people don't want to touch each other. What is the consequence right. of that? Challenging one for people. And I think that what's important is that people find ways. Well, first of all, you asked about the consequences. So I think the consequences will be that there will be people who are choosing not to to engage in physical contact with other people as much. Right now, that's an appropriate step to take. Um, That does not have to be the way you live your life forever. Um, Once the COVID-19 pandemic plays its course, we will have to, we will have to, you know, assess risks for when it, if it might come back, but hopefully by then we may have a vaccine for it. And I hope one of the behaviors that people choose to change is to get their, their, to get their uh, vaccines um, because, and I really hope that this thing, here are the behaviors I really want to see people change because it, change in these behaviors could help reduce people's anxiety about being able to hug other people or to be able to be physically close to other people. And that is by making sure you get your vaccines because the flu vaccine has saved people don't believe in getting the MMR. Some people, a few people, don't believe in getting the MMR. But that doesn't make sense because now what's happened is it's made it, measles is an extremely contagious disease. 
So it spreads like hotcakes, like wildfire around the country, around people who have it. So it isn't safe to be around other people who have it. So if everybody gets their vaccines, other people are safe to be around. And that, again, comes back to what I was saying earlier. How do you build a healthy community? By taking social responsibility and recognizing that this is the responsible way to protect yourself and the others around you. Your child is safer if the kids around your child are vaccinated. So that's another message that uh, I think is a really important message for people to understand. So hopefully down the road there will be a COVID, there'll be a coronavirus vaccine that we can encourage people to take very mild symptoms. The most people, it causes mild symptoms. But in the people who are at risk, it is it can be very deadly. So protecting the people who are at risk, which means people who have chronic diseases, people who are older, to protect those people in our population, and there are a lot of them. Many, many people in America have a chronic disease or are over 60. Protecting them by making sure we're clean and we're safe, that we are taking, doing the, taking the measures we can not to spread a disease, including getting your vaccine, that's important. And that kind of behavior will allow us to continue to have that physical contact that you're talking about without fear. The, um, the vaccine that um, is given to children, the, the um, measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, um, yeah. is, it, is it a stronger or more condensed overload all at once for children, more, than it, more so than it used to be? Uh, you know what? I can't answer that question right now. I don't okay. think it is, but it okay. is very important. It's a very important vaccine for kids to get because right. the measles will kill children, and it will kill immunocompromised children especially. So kids who may have cancer and whatnot are at high, high risk when other kids don't get when, when other children don't get their vaccines. So, okay. yeah. It's, it's, you know, and the, and the evidence, the evidence about vaccines being problematic for children is not there. It does not exist. The major paper that came out to challenge vaccines has been debunked over and over and over again. There is no evidence that vaccines hurt your kids. And so I just need to get that message out there because it's a really important message for people to understand. Okay. Vaccines are safe, and they are safe not just for your kids, but they're also safe for other people. And it's how you build a healthy community, in my view. So, um, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, can we do what are some ways that we can build our immunity? Um, build yes. it up and make it strong so that, you know, we don't feel so vulnerable to this virus? Great question. So this comes down to some of the basic common sense stuff that my mother taught me and many people's mothers may have taught them. Um, and it's important to engage in this. Um, eating well, eating a healthy diet is really important eating food, not filling yourself up with junk food, <clears throat> excuse me, making sure that you have plenty of, plenty of fruits and vegetables. If you can eat nuts, eat nuts. They're good for you. You know, um, eating things that are, you know, not fast food, not high in sugar, not a lot of alcohol, that not too much caffeine, because all of those things amp you up, and especially when people are already anxious, you want to reduce your caffeine intake because caffeine is going to contribute to your inability to sleep, and that's the next thing that you need to do to be able to take care of yourself and strengthen your immune system. You need to be able to sleep. So doing what you can to maintain a very regular sleep schedule, you go to bed at the same time at night, 
you don't have your face on a screen before you're going to bed. Don't sit there and watch the news or what you know. Be on screen time. You know, take half an hour before you expect to fall asleep to turn off the lights in the room to allow your body to produce the melatonin to help you sleep. You want to do these things so that your body can restore itself. Sleep is your restorative time. And so to keep your immune system at high level, you eat well, you make sure you get your sleep, cut down your caffeine. Exercising is really good. It does, it does, exercise does increase an inflammatory response in your body, but it's a good one. And so you want to be able to get exercise to help um, keep your body strong, keep your heart strong, get some of the energy out. Some people, not everybody's like this, but some people feel the need, the strong need, and I'm one of them, to to exercise, to, to move around, to get out anxiety when it when it comes. So those are some of the things that I would strongly encourage. People also having a sense of acceptance. Acceptance where you kind of know this is this is what's going on and I can't if I fight it it's it, I can't fight it because it's happening it's here it's done it's it's happening so again that whole sense of taking back your control by accepting the circumstance and doing what you can to protect to to to, to alter how you're looking at the situation and improve that you're so that you're doing the things you need to do to protect yourself and the people around you. That's really important. Or and vitamin or something, some, a supplement that we should take or that would help us. Yeah, and I, I don't, I don't promote that stuff generally. I mean, I think it, it doesn't hurt people if you're, if you're, you know, it, it, it may or may not be beneficial to take vitamins depending on your diet. If you have a really well-balanced diet, a good diet, vitamins aren't really necessary because your body will naturally absorb the vitamins you need from your good diet. If your diet is questionable, you might want to take a multivitamin, but that's really a personal choice, and I I don't think that it's a a necessity. Okay. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, the evidence does show the only supplement that I think is is um, uh, potentially of value depending on an individual is uh, omega-3 fatty acids. The one thing omega-3 fatty acids have been shown to help is with symptoms of depression. Um, with people who have been depressed, it can help reduce. It's been shown to be beneficial for people, but... Um, but that's, you know, the data on that is still somewhat mixed, although that, that's the most recent meta-analysis I saw of the studies that suggests that it may be beneficial. But, but other than that, not really. I just think eat, trying to eat well, really making, your, making sure you eat well, keeping your routines, um, you know, and trying to do positive coping behaviors that you've had in the past, things that you know work for you. So if you're the kind of person that copes with challenges by having a sense of humor, then have a sense of humor and find a way to use it um, in a positive way. You know, make people laugh um, if you can. It doesn't, you know, it, it may seem odd to people because there's so much anxiety out there, but, you know, whatever your positive, whatever positive coping strategies you've used in the past, use them and make, do it consciously. Oh yeah, that has helped me in the past. I think I'll try that again. Those are the things I would recommend that people do. And in terms of supplements, you know, if you can eat well, you don't necessarily need it. Yeah, laughter is so important. I mean, it can really change everything. And there's so many um, memes and you know pictures going around um, that are being passed on Facebook and you know on the cell phone and everything. Funny things that I guess are good yeah. for levity. It you know <laughs> lifts you up. Right. Right. You, know, I gotta, I, I, well, you mentioned you mentioned Facebook though, and I just want to say. Social media is a place where a lot of rumors and a lot of things that are not helpful get passed. So I would encourage you, if you if maybe finding something funny is cool, but I would encourage people not to get sucked into and be, into believing everything you see on Facebook. So right. if 
you find something that's funny, laugh, but don't believe everything you're seeing because it's really a, it's a notoriously bad place to get facts. So <laughs> I agree. You know, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. Um, Sorry, you I, know, I interrupted got this, you. I got this thing. I got this um, notice yesterday in my email yesterday. Um, it says French authorities have warned that widely overused, widely used over-the-counter anti-inflammatory drugs may worsen the coronavirus, and they're actually recommending um, to substitute like you know Advil or any of those um, anti-inflammatories or even cortison. Some people really need that, though, but it says it, it could be a factor in aggravating the infection. So they're advising that we take Tylenol or, you know, they call it um, paracetamol. Sure. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, have you heard that? Yes, I heard that, and I understand the rationale for it. Um, you that your body's inflammatory response when you have a, when you've contracted an illness is uh, is to fight the illness. The whole point of a fever and inflammation is to kill the germ. It's your body's way of saying, "Uh-oh, stuff's going on here. I got to go get an action." And so that's what our bodies do naturally. It's important that we allow our bodies to naturally do that to a degree, but there comes a there comes a cut point. Okay, sometimes an inflammatory response can be too much, and it can overwhelm the system. And when that happens, you start having problems with the functioning of your various organs in your body, and that's not good. So they may have they may have said that to people, and I think. In general, that's good advice, but say if you have a temperature of 103 or 104, you should probably take some medicine to get that down. Now, you can start with Tylenol and see if that works. That's fine. But, um, you know, I think there comes a point at which, you know, I think using ibuprofen or or other, um, you know, the uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories is okay. But I, you know, I I do tend to think, you know, start with Tylenol. It's a good, that's good advice. Let your body's natural immune response, inflammatory response to an illness, work its way out. Now, when you're sick with just a cold or the flu, it doesn't really matter if you need to take Advil or whatever. Take it. It's not the the illness is not as those illnesses are not as severe a challenge to our bodies, we have more immunity to them already naturally. So that's, uh, those are, you know, those aren't as worrisome for this situation, for the, what you're describing. So, Okay, thank you for validating that. <clears throat> I get so yeah. many things um, through my emails, um, notices and pitches and all kinds of things for people who are having these breakthroughs. And so that I thought was interesting. My son is... Uh, a surgical resident, second year surgical resident. So whenever I get these things, I always pass them on to him. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so, yeah. So this is all just so um, informative. Uh, I'm so grateful that you have come on the show. Is there anything else that you think is important for us to know? Yeah, I think I think probably the last thing I'd like to say is that I think in this time when people are, you know, forced into more social isolation and quarantines and whatnot, I think it's really important. I want to come back to what I was saying earlier about thinking about things in a socially responsible way. And part of that is being able to provide support and love and kindness to the people around you in your lives um, who may be feeling lonely or maybe feeling sort of isolated, especially like older people. If older people are living alone or, or, you know, aren't in contact with a lot of their uh, rest of their family and stuff that it's really important to reach out and you can do that by phone. You can call someone, you can FaceTime them, you can use Zoom, you can use whatever um, internet based or phone based system to reach out to somebody. You can do all of that safely. And I think that it's very important to to do that. To even even if you do it for just a brief period of time, 
you know, being able to, to stay connected with other human beings that you know and love and care about and show that caring to other people, that will help, again, build that sense of a healthy community, to a social, of social grace and, and social responsibility and helping, you know, putting in your part to create a healthy community around you, which will then keep you safer. And I, I just, you know, giving is a really great way to, um, to take care of yourself. Giving is a great way to take care of yourself. I absolutely agree. I think that's great, great advice. Thank you for, um, you know, emphasizing that. And yeah. how, much, how much news should we watch or should we not watch any? <laughs> well, I say, no, I, this is a really important issue. I say, with that, I say pay very close attention. Be very mindful of how your body is responding when you're attending to the news. As I said earlier, I think it's important to have <clears throat> a find one site, one or two sites. I'd encourage the CDC or World Health Organization have a couple of sites, one or two max, that you go to for information. Get the information you need, and then stop the rest. Okay. If you don't need more information, don't go get it. If it's starting to make you feel anxious to see more stories and more stories, don't go reading them. Protect yourself. Don't overdo the media. It's really important not to overdo the media. Really important not to overdo the media. That is how we can protect ourselves. Get what you need and leave the rest. Very important. That is good advice. That is really good advice. Um, yeah. Wow. <clears throat> so we're all in this together. Um, yes. It's something we have not experienced before, but you know, I was I was thinking we we worry. Some of us worry about the future, what we think is going to happen, you know, mm-hmm. and then something mm-hmm. like this comes along, and. We could not have possibly anticipated this, which is really the message that I see in all this, is that yep. worrying is unnecessary because we absolutely do not know what's coming in the future. Mm-hmm. Absolutely cannot. We could not have anticipated this. So for those people who mm-hmm. are worry warts and you know, chronic worriers um, and always mm-hmm. living in the, in the future, this is an example that how um, you know that kind of focus is completely unnecessary because we just don't know, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's true that we don't know for sure what the future will bring, but it's also true at the same time that it's natural for people to be concerned about what's going on in the future. And indeed what um, I was saying earlier about the fact that we have, you know, this whole situation has turned people's sense of their own futures kind of upside down. Mm. Not everybody has been, you know, some people will have been more disrupted than others, but our, our lives have changed in a dramatic way. And we are now experiencing more unknowns about what will come next. So it's natural that people will worry, but it's also important for people to to focus on what can I do now to protect myself in this situation so that you can undermine some of that tendency to worry. Does that make sense? So you want Yeah, I know it does. It really those, does. Use those skills to undermine <clears throat> to stop yourself from worrying. Right. And the other thing is, the other thing is being involved in your society, in civic society is important because <clears throat> well, yeah, we can't know for sure when some country, when there will be a disease that comes up somewhere. We can't always anticipate when that will happen. We can have governmental responses that are effective in, con- in containing these things because they are anticipating might happen, and we need to make sure 
that we take responsibility as citizens and get involved and vote and make sure that we've got people in places that you that have power to affect to impact a governmental response to build policy of the governmental response we have to be responsible citizens and make sure that the people who are there actually have a plan do they have something that can be done is there something in place that can help protect us uh because sometimes you know those things can sometimes things can be anticipated um with a lot of intelligence and forethought mm-hmm. um so yeah it's just they don't, those things don't trickle down off into our, our individual lives, right? We just have to make sure that we're protecting ourselves and, and having people in, in places of power that we trust that are giving us consistent messages that are actually doing what they can to protect us from these, what are, to us may be unanticipated, but to them, what they anticipate them and they stop them in their tracks before they hit us. Mm-hmm. So... Good advice. Thank you. Yeah. All yeah. good advice. I mean, I yeah. I mean, you're definitely the voice of reason, um, and we need this right now. You know, we need the truth. Um, we need to understand why we're feeling the way we do. And you have explained this so well. I'm so grateful that you have been my well, guest thank today. Um, well, thank so, you for inviting me. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Um, now we don't have that uh, funny sound. I, I just, I really hope that people can hear the interview, um, you know, through all that. I could hear it, so um, I don't want all that information wasted. But anyway, yeah. thank you. Um, stay well. I hope your family yep, stays you well. Too. And have thank a wonderful you, day. Too. Enjoy your day. All right. You too. Thank you very thank, much. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. Stay well. Follow what Dr. Holman advised. Follow what the CDC advises and the World Health Organization advises. Don't get crazy with the news. Um, And just stay well, stay healthy, and stay calm. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye.